0: tonight, I thought I would share some things about our recent time in Thailand. We have been to Thailand a couple times recently, and then um, the last time, and um, particularly with the intention of spending time with our aunts. And kind of sussing out which ones are like happy for bhikkhunis to visit them the one who made the top of the list was Ajahn Gana because he's so incredibly welcoming and he's such an amazing monk I've known about him for over 20 years he's Ajahn Chah's nephew he trained with Ajahn Chah um, and other places. And um, Ajahn Brahm actually told I Chitamanda the story of the night that um, it was determined that Ajahn Ghanai had dropped all the fetters or dropped all the taints. Um, he mm-hmm. said that Ajahn Chah had had. Uh, Intuition or knowledge that someone had broken through in the group. And he, they they came to his hut in the evening and they're all sitting around and he starts to ask each one, So do you still have any And It's like, yeah, kind of thing going around. It's the Ajahn Gana and he asks him, and he goes, No. And Ajahn Shah said, come upstairs with me, and went into his hut. Talked for a long time. Ajahn Brahm said, they were all down there going, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know, what was being said up there, and when they came out, he's yeah. He's broken through, he's finished his work. And then, from what I understand, he did a lot of time on Tudong. And since then, and this is many years ago now, since then established many monasteries. He lives in a monastery now. He used to live more in the north than Chiang Mai, but now he lives um, in a monastery um, near the Kaoyai National Park. Uh, very close to the monastery where Ajahn Sumedal lives and not so far from where Ajahn Genesaro is in the Bokshan area. And it's, um, it's a really beautiful part of the country. It's really you know, that higher mountainous area the cleanest air. People kept telling us it's about the 7th location in the world, relative, you know, clean, clean air-wise. It's really quite lovely, temperate. And I really expected, well, first of all, um, on our previous visit, Acha told me to come and stay for many days. And that he would teach you the Dhamma until I understand. And so then you can practice anywhere. So we wanted to take him up on that offer and decided we'll stay for a month. And if that doesn't do it, we'll come back again and again. And he um, actually tells people that anyone who's serious earnest partition they can come and they can live at his monastery and stay for the rest of their life. He really has this incredible open heart. Incredibly welcoming and he really gives his all. Um. He's positioned himself in a kind of a unique place because he's not officially part of uh, the Ajahn Chah lineage. His monastery is a separate, independent, and he's a an irreverent. He has um, with the Dhammaid also. So he's, he's, he, the shrine has Ajahn Mun and Ajahn Mahabhua and Ajahn Chah. He's kind of between the two main sects. Monastics, And I think that's, it's for him, he talks about how when we make divisions, we're on the wrong track. And everybody should be welcome. And he said if we make divisions between religions we're on the wrong track. Um, and this idea, he talked a lot about loving everyone. Loving everyone. In fact, he talked about loving everyone more than you love yourself. And he said, that's what the Buddha did. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what we need to do. Feels like a bit of a tall order, don't you think? <laughs> he talked. Again and again and again and again about being a giver. We should do everything as a gift. Um, and he was constantly giving. People would bring offerings, and it, and that it, it was clear that people knew the kinds of things he would give because they would bring these like lots of candy, and he would throw them to us to give and um, yogurt drinks and he would actually pitch them out into the crowd if he was here right now he would just get it right into your hands I mean he's got like a dead aim <laughs> it's great and fun and it's just a way of physically doing what he's teaching you know um and uh, he would talk about how we have eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body and mind. For the soul he would do that with this For the soul purpose of developing wisdom. That's what it's for. That's what our senses are for, that's what the life is for. And I I really um Appreciated that. Um, many years ago, I was really trying to understand what my life was for. You know, that kind of like find your purpose thing. And I knew that my high tech career wasn't it. And, you know, I couldn't figure it out, and I was with um attending something where this teacher was talking about the purpose of life. And she kind of, she said, so what what is the purpose of life? And kind of had us hang in there for a minute. And then she said, the only purpose is to become blind." So that's the way I've been thinking of it for a long time. But I like actually Ganaha's way of saying it's so much better. It's for developing wisdom. It's the same thing. But it's so much more accessible. It's so much more about process. That this is something we can do in this moment. Look into wisdom. So he said that he feels like people nowadays are putting too much emphasis on concentration, meditation, and not enough emphasis on developing wisdom. We go to retreats, and we have nice experiences, or challenging experiences, or whatever, but we're focused on you know, getting that samadhi. And then we go home, he says, and then we feel angry, we feel... You know, there's all this kind of losing it. So he said, we need to develop wisdom. That's what's really most important. So I asked him, so how much, how deep does the samadhi need to be to get enlightened? Because you have to remember that I am totally convinced he's fully enlightened. And when you're around someone like that, enlightenment seems a lot more possible. And when you feel like this person's really done it, and he's seen that, I mean, he, this is decades since that happened, and he's really there, and, um, and also guided many, many people, right? So when I asked him, because you know, this is a question that's often debated. Do you have to have all the jobs? Do you have, you know, like, what is it that it takes? And when I said, So, how deep does this model need to be? He said, Not that deep. Hmm. Not that deep. And it kind of reminds me of something that I, and some, another bhikkhuni that I know who lived with Ajahn Buddhadasa many years ago. So, that Ajahn Buddhasa had the same, the same idea. You have to have enough samadhi to, you know, like, be able to put the key in the keyhole. (laughs) Um, That samadhi is really a support for our mindfulness. It's important. It's crucial. It's necessary. But it's not what gets the job done. Um, We have to develop these things. Swajjankana talked about constantly through the day, every moment, having Sati, Samadhi, and Panya together. Mindfulness, stability of mind, and wisdom operating as you do your work all day long. And he said, we should work, work, and be happy with the work. Um, give ourselves to it and really enjoy it you know, with a giving mind. Be a giver in everything. So I think it's been an interesting investigation. like What is samadhi like if I'm coupling it with mindfulness and wisdom in this present moment? What is that like? And my, my plan is that tomorrow, for the day long, we really looking into that. See if we can do it. So Ajahn kind talks about doing your duty, of course, keeping precepts, without any um, equivocation. One of the people who came, and he had a lot of visitors all the time, every evening. Almost every evening, he would uh, all the foreigners who were visiting master would come to his kuti, and um, there was a monk that would translate into English. So foreigners coming from Europe and America, Australia, and all over the place, and also from China and Korea and Japan and all over. And this um, particular monk who was doing the translating was from Hong Kong and sometimes he would use the English channel, and sometimes he would use the Chinese channel. It was pretty versatile. It was really lovely. And um, one night I think there were people there from 14 countries. You yeah. know. And his message was always like, the same. Um, be happy and at ease in the present moment. Be giving um, in every way, at all levels. Like, everything you do is a gift. Even your practice is a gift. And he used this word in Thai, siasala, which means giving. But giving what's hard to give. It's giving, but it's also sacrifice. It's also renunciation. It's also relocation. Letting go. And to be happy uh, as you go through the day. He said that, you know, for monastics, Meditating formal meditation for one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening is enough. And the rest of the time you do your work. So the monks and nuns their work all day long, pretty much. And I've never seen such happy people. Um things go wrong and they laugh. And I don't mean like push brush it off. It's like, oh, wow. Like, if you're constantly employing wisdom, and you're constantly reviewing impermanence. And the nature of things is to break down. The nature of things is to go the that you want them to go. And the mind encouragement. I mean, I really expected a much more kind of gung-ho um, you know, strive, strive, beat down those the violence kind of teaching. And it was so refreshing. So refreshing to just like Be at ease. Be happy. Yes, do your duty. Take responsibility. But enjoy it. Notice when you're not happy and why. Give. Love. the Buddha didn't say we should love other people more than we love ourselves. He said we should love as we love ourselves. And I think Haji says more. He says the Buddha did that, like I said, Jesus did that. He said, I think because that, you know, he's doing that. You know, the Buddha must have loved people more than he loved himself because of the way he just constantly gave, walked around to the India. Even when he was 80 and he was close to dying. When all around taught, it's loving other people more than you love yourself. You're not know, looking for comfort. and finding it in mind peacefulness and happiness so I was going to talk about this woman who came who um, talked about in terms of the the unequivocal um, commitment to the precepts she was talking about ants in her house And how for a year she's been trying to do every possible thing to get them out. And she wants to get an exterminator to come. And, you know, she's basically trying to ask for permission. And he said, well, you can share the negative comma with the exterminator. She said, so what do I do? He said, you have to have a really pure mind, completely pure mind. That's what's important. And she's like, I can't take it. It's like too much. They're just like, they can't, you know, keep the way you're talking, they should just sell my house and move somewhere else. And he said, yeah, you could sell your house and move somewhere else. There's no way he was going to say, yeah, it's okay. Because he said, you have to have a really pure mind. And the way you're talking, he actually said, the way you're talking, you don't. She hates these ants. She wants to eradicate it. And that is not a pure mind. When you listen to someone who's fully enlightened talk about these things, sometimes the message is hard to understand. What do you do in real life, right? Or you might say something that seems completely out of the blue. But then after you sit within the let it see the real understanding of it might come through. And when people would talk about, well, if I'm just a giver and a give and give a give, aren't people going to take advantage of me? And his answer is you need to let wisdom solve the problem. So he wasn't saying that you just to take care of yourself, or take care of things. It's like you, you use wisdom to know what's appropriate to give. And I noticed that, you know, he would be there after a long day of managing all kinds of other things, meeting with all kinds of people, talking to us. And then at 8.30, 8.30 hits, and he moves, comes to care of himself. It's like that's that's how you know we have to like, know when the time is. Using the sun for me, this um, day after day hearing these teachings was a real reset. It's like. Even, I mean, I don't know if you have, what your idea of monastic life must be. A lot of people think we just meditate all the time, but that is not what we do all the time. <clears throat> and it's easy to think, I'm not doing it enough. I'm not doing it good enough. And here, a lot of people say that they have that same feeling. Like I'm, I'm falling short. His teachings just kind of offered a complete reset on that. Just, you know, like, be generous with yourself. Let it go. In this moment, do what you can do. Virtuous. take responsibility and love, love yourself, love other people. And stay present to the degree you can. When, it, when the mind you know, goes off into something, breathe back. And I said like if, if we practice with sati, samadhi, and panya in our mind, the defilements is not a chance. And he said, "That's the way to enlightenment. Just that. Just these simple things. Then enlightenment will come, stage by stage." So we would get up every morning, the hours at three a.m. Go down to the Dhamma Hall. Sit and meditate. Chanting starts at four. Sit a little bit more. Hold the in at five. You go do your chores. Have a little break. Have some um, lay people would be ready to give the go on and bend and give the monks free in their bowls. The meal happens around eight. Eight thirty. And then you have time to clean, sweet, practice. Rest a little. Practice time at five. The monastery is super clean. We brought, and it's like a park. It's beautiful. And there are lots of buildings. You can call them kutis, but they're more like houses. There's space there for 2,000 people to come. I mean, If there are 2,000 people there, then the kind of rooms we had where there's a big platform with three mattresses on it that would all be stacked full of people. But, you know, we had more space for each of us because there weren't 2,000 people there. It wasn't a big event happening. Like I said, the foreigners go up to hear his in English. Monastic practice makes it easier than meditation retreats to take your practice back into your normal life, because it's only a great of sweeping leaves, you know, can come back and do whatever it is I need to do with the same quality, the same practice. One thing that I, well, at this point, I don't think I have questions about how to do this, for myself at least. And it's clear to me that the more we develop on the path, the more our life is just about giving. There's nothing else you're going to do. add We took um, six lay people with us, and we gave them um, preparation for what to expect. and affected um, by being in Ajahnana's presence and practicing in this way and um, one thing that was lovely is that the people ranged in age from late like 20s to seventies decided to um, so the idea was that the lay people would come for two weeks and we would just stay longer we were there six and a half weeks total and uh, one of the the people who came with us decided to just extend her stay and um, she wanted to, there was a there's an Arahant nun who lives close by Ajahnana's monastery and we visited her a couple of times. She was, more, she was a student of Ajahn Mahabuddha, so she got more of the message of strive, strive, strive. You were talking to her about pain when you sit. Just, you got to sit through the pain. Ajahn Mahabuddha is like, you know, when the, when the meditation ends and the Dhamma talk starts, he says, just so sit comfortably. You know, just a little different approach. But still, tons of metta. It's beautiful, and so um, this person you say she's seventy. She's Ayachitananda's mom. Anicchatananda's uh, path of ordination caused her mom to get like a whole lot more serious about dhamma. She's really beautiful. Inspired her. And she was always like, hey, I'm already in Thailand, and this nun is amazing, and I want to see if she'll let me stay with her for the, for the rest of the, basically, the rest of the month. And, and she accepted her, and she just, like, is there working hard along with the other nuns They work all day long. And... Um, she had a sore knee. She actually was worried that she wouldn't be able to come on the trip because she was having so much trouble with her knee, but she just but she came and we were a little worried about her knee and um, it was really helping her to be able to put ice on it, but at the lens one there, there's no ice. So we thought maybe I had just another could go over there. So it's like only a couple a mile or so away from the monster, actually kind of this monster. So we thought maybe we could bring some ice over every couple days and she could put this uh, they call her long mirror, long mirror. She's like, no, don't come. Don't eat for The body's always wanting something. Please don't come or here. Go married and go to, to his mom and, you know, give her ointments and ask her how she's doing every day and all of that, seriously. Very... But that idea of, you know, don't, don't give in to what the body's wanting all the time. There's no men to it. No. You don't come over here bothering your mother her It's not that you bother her, but, you know, it's like, um, Interesting, um, and you know, see her mom looking so bright and radiant at the end when we went back before leaving Thailand to see her, and to you know realize that this isn't something you have to be just like necessarily young to do. Um, it takes wanting to. Now, I also don't want to make you think that you have to go to Thailand. I mean, we have our aunts visiting America, right? Thanks to Ajit Patsamo. Um, but it is valuable to meet them and spend time in their presence. And one day you can everyone, I you kind of asked if you want to be an Arahant, you need to spend time with Arahans. And without even thinking I said how yeah, I'm important it's why we're here. And among some people should acknowledge Thank <laughs> you. But that's right. Now realize that this is not just some talk that's, you know, there in the books. This is, the, this is what we're all moving towards. And practicing the Mobley Full Path means you're going to get there. It's not quite right. It's, it's not about getting somewhere, is it? It's just seeing, realizing. So now, I'd like to hear from you. Thank you. There's an important piece I missed. People would ask him more questions about all kinds of things, and a lot of the time his answer was, let it be except that the Thai phrase he was using was more like, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> so what? If it's not on track to awakening, who cares? And it caused us, as a little group was, you know, discussing to someone we call Dajanamaro, you know, kind of, I think it's a revival of something, Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy or something like that. Uh, SCP, Someone else's problem. So we were reminding each other, you know, like, we get, do we get wrapped up in so much stuff. Stuff that we have no control over, that is not on track to waking up. But that's the purpose of life. Developing wisdom. That's all. We know truths of the way things are, and we let go of everything else, then (laughs) S-E-B. Drop it. Who cares? Let it be. When we can always look at why, why do I want to be involved in this? Why do I and this doesn't mean we like shut off from the world. We look at what can I do to make this better? What can I do? And the Buddha said, too, do what you can do. And if it doesn't change, if you can't correct it, it's so the to really as really strong. Really strong huh? And let go. So now, what are your questions? What are your thoughts? What are your complaints? I'm not as funny as I can come on. I'm They didn't bring a candy to throw at you, so you are <laughs> gonna have to kind of go <laughs> forward with um, whatever your heart desires to know. See if we can sort it of
1: What exactly means wisdom? Wisdom? What is exactly
0: wisdom? Wisdom is, you know, like the principles of Dhamma, like seeing impermanence, dukkha, not self, you know, applying the teachings of the Buddha to the moment seeing the true nature knowing wholesome states and unwholesome states of mind choosing to reject unwholesome thoughts it's probably not anything you haven't heard about yes uh, I have a, I'd like to take my wife and
1: daughter to Thailand every spot is, is there Alex, something like
0: that work you could go you could bring her. Yeah. they'll give you a place to stay where you can stay together because lay people do stay in the in the houses and uh, yeah okay. take it all in yeah and there's a website there's an email address um I can't remember it off the top of my head, but you can find it. Yeah. And it's like, he's got this open door. Um. You'll probably interact with a young Thai woman named Gift. Mm-hmm. And um, she will set you up with a place to stay there. And also you can arrange your... Transport from the Bangkok airport to the monastery through her. And you'll have to pay for it. But the drivers are like attached or are connected to the monastery and you kind of get a fair, fair deal. Yeah. It's not that hard. Do you have families come Come. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes? I have two questions. <clears throat> the first one is Are they vegetarian there?
0: They are. And Poor says that um, people are selfish to eat meat. I really appreciate it's a vegetarian monastery and I was talking about how clean it is there Good Mm -hmm. um how clean it is there and how much less likely you are to get sick Mm -hmm. because of that and then the second
1: part is a more personal uh question um I'm a very giving person and uh it's Habit and inbred Indiana. (laughs) Um, And it's natural for me. Um, And as a result, well, not as a result, but many of my relationships um, involve either knowingly or unknowingly till later on um, illness on my partner's parts. So my current long term relationship. My partner is not in the best of health a lot of times, Mm -hmm. and I do various things as a householder to take care of him, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, have him eat well, give him too many suggestions that he (laughs) thankfully is actually appreciative of, but cannot always carry through with them. Yeah. And so the whole balance of um, my own practice and letting things sort of unfold or go without putting that much effort into that, then results later in picking up the pieces Mm -hmm. uh, if I don't fully continue being involved as much. And so, to me, the practice of, like, right effort, um, Donna, living generously, um, and when to let go of that, sort of to pursue maybe more of my own practice, and or not get so, you know, not my problem idea. I make a lot of stuff around this my problem. But I'm not attached to it. It's just that I do it fully. And so, um, I don't really know what the question is except finding a balance of living in in a householder's life, of um, having to practice the awareness in daily life. Most of my teaching in the last several years has been with Sayadaw Tejaniya around awareness practice mm-hmm. and, and wisdom but the involvement of a householder and taking care of someone and the home situation uh, balanced with something other than it's like yeah so you say anything about all that?
0: well I you know, the short answer again of course is wisdom has to solve the problem we have to use wisdom to solve the problem and I think of course caring for someone is a huge practice um, and without knowing like, what his condition really is um, I can see that I, I took care of my mom um, she came out to live in California in 2010 and then at that, from that time on, she was—I was the one who was really responsible to make sure she had what she needed, and then gradually her health declined until I really had to move in with her at the end because I knew she couldn't, like, even walk with her walker steadily enough on her own to be safe, and also knew that she was going to die sometime in a fairly—you know—you know, you can't know how much, but it—they um, told me. Was months and years, so I stayed with her, and it wasn't—it was an in, was in incredibly rich practice of dealing with you know the things that she would say that <clears throat> that I would find irritating and you know hurt feelings would arise, and knowing that would come, and you know like be with it, and work, you know like to really have the kind of patience. And to have the kind of um, stamina like when I slept while she was still able to get up at night and go on her while well, she tried to go on her own but I knew she shouldn't and then I would hear her like several times during the night and I'd get up and there's nothing my body wanted more than to be in that bed asleep and it's like oh I'm noticing all this Suffering in myself and being able to be present with that and still just do the job—it's great practice. So, as much as possible, I think what I'm hearing you make your practice the care for your husband, um, but then also you do have to know when you need to bring in help to to take care of things and learn to step away so that you've got some time to resource yourself. This isn't anything new, I'm telling you, but, you know, it's, it's, um, it really is something you have to evaluate as you go. There know what kinds of things fall apart when you're not fully attending to his needs and something like that. But there's an awful lot that's outside our control, and a lot of the times so we make ourselves crazy as we try to control things that are not in our control. It's important to remember that the only things we really control are our own actions and speech and thoughts that we put energy into. That's what we have control over. And even if we're really doing our level best to help someone, if they're not, wanting to like do it. There's only so much we can do. I mean so there is a letting go because we all have our karma, And every and sickness and death is normal. So we're gonna stop it. I mean we can do what we can do. yeah, you know what I mean. Also, it is true the Buddha. I mentioned this last night too. We um, were talking about dhamma. It's like the Buddha said that the most powerful external force for any of us is another human voice. So what we say to other people doesn't matter. But we can't control whether it's going to have any particular kind of outcome. So remember that we do have responsibility to say what we can to improve things, to encourage, but then let go. Not that's on
1: The lesson, but I was
0: curious on how pure mind does take care of ass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the story that I remember, and you can tell me if you've heard this story too, was that there was a time term when termites were eating the kutis at Jen monastery, and he did, they, you know, they, do, they have a lot in Thailand, the monks have a lot of different. Methods for dealing with critters in the critters in the forest. And they really do their level best to, like, you know, not kill them. But in this case, I guess it was so bad, and the, the, the real shame uh, was we let them try and just eat the cooties that people have donated this, you know, for we have, we're the stewards of this, we have to like, make sure we protect them and take care of it and that he said that uh, we should kill the termites and he would take the come off. Has anybody else ever heard that story? No? You have? Because I kind of have. Did I really hear that story? <laughs> yeah.
1: I think so.
0: <laughs> but, um, but I think Ajahn is was pointing to how important it is that we are not wanting to kill. That so we are really not allowing ill will or aversion to motivate our actions. And that this is not a light thing. It's super crucial that the mind be filled with loving kindness towards all creatures. And then, what do you do? So, you use all the possible methods. And maybe he's selling your so. house.
1: <laughs> That's come to mind. You know, but then somebody else gets it. Uh. They
0: do, and then they have to decide yeah, if they're going to purify their mind or
1: not. Yeah, The critters in our yard, I've thought about if I feed them where they're at, maybe they won't get in our destroy our food. I just feed them where, if they make a deal with them, you know, mm-hmm. do this. In fact,
0: Ajay your talked about how he did that when he was on Tudong, he would... Put food somewhere where they could, you know, go and he didn't have any trouble. You
1: know, it's like my moles, if they stay in that part of oh. the yard, I'm okay. <laughs> I mean, that could be rid you. You can have a whole section over there, you know, and, but they always want to come further and you can't chew them back like cats or anything. It's,
0: yeah. But you know what, what will the moles really hurt?
1: Is he my back <laughs> cleaning <enough>. up? <laughs> No. Um, I understand. You yeah, know, I, yeah. I appreciate it. I've been living for thirty some years. I mean, it's the same place. And yeah. they were there before me, and I get it.
0: Okay. I try mm-hmm. to And and you know, sometimes people have conversations with the critters and they go away. Chanting, yeah. you know, and. You know, how can we live with each other without animosity? Even those people who don't agree with you. Yeah. Keeping our priorities straight. At the end of your life, you won't care whether the moles got whatever they were after or not. Or, you know, tore up the whole yarn. But if you've developed your ideas of the mind, that's going to make a huge difference. Yes.
1: Can you talk about the function or role of blessings?
0: Mm-hmm. The function or role of blessings. The human mind is powerful, more powerful than we can imagine. That's actually a line in one of the poems in the new uh, First Free Women I don't know if you've seen that one yet, but it's a, new rend- a rendering of the, the um, poems of the Enlightenment. it's clear to us that he can encompass our minds and know when we're thinking as he brings stuff up that we've never told him. You know. Not told him, certainly. You know, just pointing right at what you need to do. And blessing. So the, the mind and the heart filled with blessing. And sharing that has an effect. Prayer has an effect. When it's Buddhist, we're not really looking for some other being to swoop in and fix it all. We won't get saved by someone else. But the mind is powerful in those good wishes, those blessings that we extend. Matter.
1: When we share our goodwill with other beings, it matters.